Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, The Joyful Frugalista, and now here's your host, Serena Bird. Looking to turbocharge your saving and investment goals in 2022? Join me for my next course starting on 9th of February. Over six weeks, we'll cover everything from saving to investing and growing your income. As a special for my podcast listeners, receive a discount of $50 if you use the code PODCAST. See the Joyful Frugalista website for details. Hello, Frugalistas, and welcome. Today, I have a very special guest. In fact, I have an international guest all the way from the US. But before I introduce her, I have a special favor to ask of you, which is if you enjoy this podcast as much as I do in recording it, please leave a comment and also follow. I really love it to have your support. It means the world to me. Today's guest comes all the way from the US of A. She is a Kentucky girl, but living in Texas, I believe. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Myra Oliver, she is a Kentucky girl who at age 22 decided she wanted freedom from debt and consumerism which if I am led to believe from all the US sort of television and movies that I see that consumerism is kind of a big deal in the US and we can talk about the differences later. Through smart saving and real estate investments, she went from hairstylist to becoming a real estate investor and she became a self-made millionaire in her 30s. After a few years of retirement, she rejoined the workforce and built a real estate empire. And she is now sharing all she has learned in Down Home Money, a practical guide to true financial freedom. Welcome, Myra. Oh, thank you, Serena. It's so exciting to be with you. I just want to listen to your accent. Keep talking. (laughs) Well, the the love on the accent front is kind of mutual. So (laughs) ever so cute. So thank you so much. Let's talk about you and your 20s. You and your 20s, what was your life like? You talked about being in debt. So how did this debt and consumerism come about? Absolutely. So just like anybody, when you're young, you want, 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 right? Yeah. And I got caught up in that. I mean, when I was younger and in my 20s, that was when Dallas was on TV and oh. Dynasty, you know, <laughs> life was big in the 80s, right? I actually have a secret addiction to the Dynasty theme song. Like it's one of those things that like I just feel the abundance when I listen to it. And I understand there's a new version. I think it's on Netflix, but I haven't seen it yet. Well, that you know, I was just watching all that, right? And I'm sitting in rural Kentucky wanting the big life. So I uh, packed up my bags, graduated high school, packed up my bags, and I went to Dallas. That's the home of big hair. Yeah. And wow. I, yeah. So you're watching yeah. Dallas and you went, I want that. I want those riches. I'm going to Dallas. Wow. Yes. Yes. And uh, my mom and dad weren't real excited because they were both school <laughs> teachers and they had big plans because it was either I was going to be a veterinarian or I was going to be a hairstylist. Let's see, nine years of school or nine months? Oh, I chose hairstylist. <laughs> and so I moved to Dallas and, and went to school. I worked three jobs to put myself through school to do hair. And I got a job immediately doing hair, but I also found myself keeping up with the Joneses. Mm. And trust me, back then it was the Joneses. Now in the U.S., it's the Kardashians. <laughs> they live a big life, girl. I mean, I mean, it's big. And so um, they spend a lot of money. And so it's very expensive to keep up with them. So I started really using credit cards. 
and I got myself in a mess. And I just woke up one day and what really happened is my father passed away and it made me really realize what's important in life and time that I didn't get to have with him. And I just started really reevaluating what I wanted my future to look like. And I just decided I was tired of trading my time for money to pay my credit card bill, if I'm being honest. Yeah, well, there's a lot of things in there, but I can so totally relate. Like when you're in your 20s and you read all of this sort of stuff about believe it, manifest it, you deserve it. It's really easy to go, oh, well, you know, I'm thinking abundant thoughts, so I'm going to dress abundantly, act abundantly, and the abundance will come. Right. And you and I both know that you really have to be diligent and purposeful. If you want financial freedom, you've got to watch and control your spending habits, buy what you need, not necessarily what you want, live on a budget, And that's what I did. I implemented all of that. I started tracking my net worth. I decided I wanted to buy some properties, real estate properties, because again, I have a high school education. And so I was like, what can I do that I'm not limited based on my education? And it was buy a rental property. And I happened to buy our first house. And I was was 20 when I bought the first house. I still own it. I paid $35,000 for it. Wow. years ago. Yeah, over 30 years ago, and I've made over 300000 on that property. And it's the property is probably worth two hundred, but that's time. I mean, that's because of, of, of the appreciation of the property, owning it so long because I buy and hold, I don't sell. So that was my first property. And then by the age of 33, we had gotten up to 10 properties. It took us 13 years total didn't happen overnight. And it took a lot of blood, sweat and tears to work on those properties. My husband was a policeman. So we both, we earned less than six figures to combine, but we were able to start getting real purposeful with our money and buy assets that would throw us off another income. And then we worked really hard to pay them down. And then by the age of 33, we had a net profit from 10 properties of 5,000 a month which allowed my husband to quit his job and I sold my hair salon. And we went on like a sabbatical of about three years, just living on our rental income. We live very cheaply though, because we're, de- we're, we're people that we don't, we don't need a lot of stuff. <laughs> we're very much minimalist. People laugh at me all the time. My friends are like, why are you still driving that old car? And I'm like, a car gets you to point A to point B. Mm-hmm. A car is not an asset. Car is actually a liability. It goes down in value every yeah, year. It does. It's a big depreciating yeah. asset. I've done yes. crunched some numbers in my book, The Joyful Frugalista, about yes. the cost of a second car in a household, and, and it's huge. Yes. And so we just got really purposeful with our money. I drove an old car. You'll love this. Girl, I drove an old car. It didn't even have a front seat, passenger seat, because it was a courier's car. And my husband bought it at auction, so he couldn't even ride with me. And I drove that car back and forth to work. You talk about embarrassing. And people would say, it was always interesting because the girls that worked for me that did hair, you know, they always had the newest, best of everything, right? And I mean, one would pull up inside of me in her Mercedes, and the other one would pull up in their big SUV. And I had this little Honda Civic missing seats besides the driver's seat. <laughs> it got you from A to B, right? It got me there. And more importantly, when they had to stand behind that chair to make an extra four or $500 to make those car payments, my four or 500 went into my SEP plan 
for my future self. Mm -hmm. And there's a big difference when you're saving your money for the future. They, both of those ladies, one worked till she passed because they were both quite a bit older than I am. The other one is still working. Yeah. um, Cutting hair. And so it's just a difference. It's a different mindset. You know? This is really huge. And as someone I know in my community who I've done some money coaching work with, and one of the big things for her is she really wants to buy a new car. Now, why she wants to buy a new car is she's really embarrassed by the car that she drives to work and she's worried about what her co-workers will think of her. Well, as it turns out through much of this year, we've been in lockdown anyway, so there's been no driving to work. As I said to her, often people worry more about the new car because they look at you and go, well, how is she affording that? So true. And isn't it sad that we judge people based on what they have? Because you and I both know there's more blue collar millionaires in the world than anything. And so I think it's interesting that but but we have social media has done that to us. We see all this on Instagram and, and Facebook and we see people with their Lambo and they're promoting this lifestyle. When actually, I mean, I coach a lot of real estate agents and they make a lot of money. And I have one in particular, an interesting story. She makes over a million dollars a year selling real estate, but she spends a million two a year in her lifestyle and she's way in debt. And so we have been working for the last year to change that because she's in her 50s. And if she doesn't get that under control, she's going to be working all the way up until she passes. And it's really sad to me because I have another coaching client that makes 50000 a year and she's now paid her house off. There's a difference. There is she, a difference. Her net worth, yeah, her net worth is more than the one making a million dollars a year. It's not how much money you make. It's how much money you keep and what you do with it. And are you buying assets that throw you off a passive income? I so hear that. In my former life, I was a diplomat, so equivalent to your US State Department, really. Yes. Had had one posting, but mainly worked in foreign affairs. Now, I saw a lot of people who went on frequent postings overseas. I had a boss who'd just come back from spending nine years overseas on postings. And like, it can be quite lucrative when you're on postings, as you can imagine, although there are some issues and often your spouse can't work. But in general, it's not bad. And But what the issue is when you're on posting, you are often, as part of your work, you are meeting with really high net worth people. You're meeting with CEOs, CFOs, leaders of political parties, the wealthiest people in town often, because that's your job to network with them. But then on some level, a lot of people think that they need to keep up with that lifestyle. But basically, they're public servants. They're not on that same kind of salary. I was shocked. My former boss, she was like, I can't afford to buy a house. I met her at a party and she's like, we can't afford to buy a house. And I was just kind of looking at her going, like, what are you talking about? Because I've nearly paid off mine and I've got investment properties and you've just been overseas for nine years. But it's this whole thing. You socialize like that and you think you have to keep up with the Joneses or the Kardashians. And especially too, if you're working in a fairly glamour job, you feel sometimes that you need to spend a lot to keep up with that image. Yeah. Yeah. And isn't that so sad, right? I'll never forget. I fight for private property rights. I fight in the state of Texas for property rights. I think it's so important. I mean, I'm a broker, a real estate broker, and I fight for that because a lot of my net worth is in property, real estate. And so I pulled up to meet with a senator and, and he happened to be outside. He was walking into his office to meet with me. 
and he saw me drive up. And I mean, I mean, my, I have a 10 year old van. Okay. It's no big deal, but it's perfect for my dogs. Cause I used to have a lot of dogs cause I did rescue and they can all load up. I just swing the van door open. They'd all load. And that's what I have. And it's paid for. And so I pulled up. I just had been in Florida, my husband and I on a vacation and um, somebody had sat on my hood, believe it or not, it was in a parking garage and put a big dent in the front of it. So it did kind of, I mean, otherwise the car was in great shape. And it was really funny because he said to me, he goes, he goes, wow, you're different than most real estate agents. (laughs) I was like, why is that? And he goes, well, he said, I would expect you to be driving a Lexus or a Mercedes. And I just started laughing. I said, I said, listen, I don't have my money in my car. My money's making money. It's why I'm here to see you today. We're going to talk about private property rights because I own a lot of property. <laughs> and he smiled really big. He goes, oh, you're one of those millionaire next doors I've read about. <laughs> so I guess he read that book because that is a great book about the blue collar people that you have no idea their wealth. But I, and I know a lot of wealthy people that you would never know they had any money. Yeah. Uh, you just wouldn't know. They don't wear it. I always tell people my motto, I don't wear my money. I don't drive my money and I don't live in my money. My money makes money. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And I'm laughing too, because the last time my husband and I went to a property auction and we were cashed up ready to potentially buy, although for various reasons we didn't. And we got there early just to sort of scope out what the crowd was like. And we saw someone in Mercedes and I went, oh, wow, we've got competition. And hubby Neil said to me, oh, no, that's just going to be the agent. And sure enough, that was the agent. Like none of the bidders were driving Mercedes, just the agent. And this is things about people in the sales industry in particular. They often do feel that they have to have this reputation that they've got lots of money and it may or may not be true. It's so true. I used to laugh because when I was actively selling real estate, I had a Prius. So my car before my van was a Prius. And so, you know, electric. And so I, people would say to me, uh, you know, they would get in my car and I'd take them shop houses or whatever. And they go, girl, what do you do with your money? Because you know, obviously you save your money because I'm different, you know, than other realtors that are in their Mercedes and Lexus. They go, I just know you're going to save me a lot of money on buying a house. <laughs> and so it's interesting. You know, I, I said, that's right, because I value your money because I value my own money. Yeah. And this is an interesting thing, too, in terms of who actually buys. And there's been a few videos I've watched recently about people in sales who are looking down on people that they perceive as poor. Often, say, if someone who comes in who's not dressed in a suit, they assume that that person isn't the person who can afford to buy. But the reverse is often true. And I have a friend who is in sales and she was working for a luxury jeweler. And she's like, yeah, this happens all the time. It's the middle-aged, fairly frumpily dressed lady who's the one who's buying up big, often for herself or for presents for her children. And if you turn down your nose at her because she's not wearing the latest brand names, you will lose the sale. Absolutely. You know, I've got two stories on that. My husband sold cars for a little while because we wanted to buy another rental property. So he went and sold cars at a dealership. And he, he was the new salesman and never sold cars before. And this gentleman gets off the bus and he comes walking into the dealership and all the other guys run to the back. They're like, we're going to let the new guy handle him. <laughs> he doesn't have any money. And so my husband treated him just because my husband treats everybody the same, you know. And so my husband just goes and takes him through the car and shows him everything. And the gentleman the whole time is carrying a brown paper sack. And you know where this is going. Yeah. And so the gentleman, my husband takes me in. The gentleman goes, I need two of those cars and I'm going to pay you cash. And so why was he on the bus? Because he just sold his other cars? 
Absolutely. He just <laughs> sold his car and he was buying a car for his girlfriend. Because if you'll do a test drive tomorrow, I'll come back and buy another one for my girlfriend. And so he, Rick sold him that one. The next day he showed back up with cash. So Rick, what he did when the guy handed him the cash, yeah, that Rick took the cash and he had it all stacked up, you know, and just a vision of all those salesmen sitting over there. Rick had cash and walked off <laughs> and took it to the finance office. And so that's a great story. And then I'll tell you something else. When we had rentals in um, a, a, a poor part of Dallas, I would say, meaning poor, meaning lower income uh, area. So that's where we started buying property. And my husband was in working on one of our houses and a little Hispanic woman walked in and this is in my book. She walked in and wanting to buy the house. My husband did not understand her because she didn't speak English. She came back later that day with her son telling us she wanted to buy the house. That same lady bought the house, paid cash for it. She, her son goes, we have cash. My husband goes, we can't take cash. But she ended up buying it. Also, same thing. They carried their money in a bag. But it's so mm. interesting to me because she now owns six houses in that neighborhood. She paid cash for every one of them. And she did that through ironing clothes, Serena. That's what's so cool. Through it's ironing clothes. A, ironing clothes, 25 cents an item. And she told me, she, her son, of course, she said it and her son repeated everything to us. And she just said that she just saves her money. And every time she gets enough, she pays cash and buys a house. Yeah. And it's American dream. And she said, I don't, it, he said to us that she said, I don't understand Americans why they don't. Uh, because they have so much in this country and they're so blessed and how you can come to this country and not know the language, but become an entrepreneur because the sky's the limit. And what a success story, right? I mean, I always say if she can do it, anybody could do it. All of us need to stop complaining and go make it happen. <laughs> wow. That's an incredible story. And I, I will say too, that in Australia, we have a very strong migrant experience and very strong migrant history. Yeah. Very proud multicultural country where we, we have a number of different cultures here. And yeah, you're right. Property is one of those things often that it, for migrants in particular, that it's a big dream for them to have those yeah. bricks and mortar. My first husband was from Taiwan, so migrated here from Taiwan. And in his sort of Chinese and Asian community, owning homes, bricks and mortar was a huge thing because it was so expensive to do that back in Taiwan and you could only have an apartment. So having a house was a big thing. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I always took it very seriously when I was selling real estate. I mean, I still sell real estate, but I, I own the company. But I mean, when I was physically one on one selling real estate, I really took it serious. These are people's largest investments. And it's so important that we protect them and take care of them. Right. As an as a as a realtor and a broker. So I, I think that it's just I mean, most people have their net worth in their home. Mm. That's right. Here in Australia, a lot of people have superannuation as well, but by and large, it's their home. And when I look at my net worth, there's a lot of equity that we have in our home. So therefore, it's really important to do the research to make sure that you are in an area that's going to do well in, in the long term. And also right. too, I'm a big believer that with property, the big thing is when you buy. That's when you earn the money, not when you sell, but when you buy. Oh, I love that you just said that. You are absolutely right. People say that to me, you know, God, you know we're selling, make a lot of money. No, you, you make your money on the buy. You make You're your money exactly on the buy. Right. And it's picking the right stage of the market. Hubby and I back uh, 2017, so what are we now? Nearly four years ago uh, to this day, we were looking at properties in a place called Queanbeyan, which is a small town not that far away from Canberra. But it's in, a, it's in a different state. 
It's across the border. And for a long time, it had this reputation as being struggle town and people wouldn't touch it. It was considered fairly icky or almost second class to to live in Queanbeyan. Now, my husband was born in Queanbeyan. He's got family who lives there. So we don't have that kind of sense of second class citizenship. We just look at the numbers. And four years ago, we looked at the numbers and we went, wow, the government doesn't have land tax, but it does here in Canberra when we live. So automatically there was a saving. The, the rental returns were fairly good. The rental demand was fairly good. There'd been a lot of local council developments that made it a lot more livable. A lot of the local pubs and restaurants had really done themselves up quite well. We could see there were a lot of younger people moving into the area. So we went, okay, now's the time to buy. And when I did, I remember we put an offer on something. I came back to work and people laughed at me. They went, why on earth would you buy in Queanbeyan? No one really with any taste or style lives in Queanbeyan. And I was like, have you been there recently? Because we have and we actually really like it. Anyway, long story short, that's now boomed like no tomorrow and there's people struggling to buy into Queanbeyan. But having that courage four years ago to make that call was something else. And, you know, that's the thing. You've got to know the market and study the market because real estate is so local, right? And really, you have to really study it and understand it. It's really interesting because this year is the first time that my husband and I have really sold some properties. We've held all these years. But the market is ridiculous right now in the United States and some of the areas we've bought in to the point where one property I just sold, I bought it in 2014 and I just sold it and I made three times what I paid for it. Wow. And so what's causing this boom in the US? Can there's so much doom and gloom yeah. about the coronavirus? There's been all the trade war stuff, but yet it sounds like property has been booming in the US. Like what's happening? It's booming. And I represent three different states. And in 2020, we did $1.7 trillion in real estate. It's just crazy when you look at the numbers, because really the only thing that I think is caused the boom, in my opinion, is supply and demand. The problem is we don't have a lot. A lot of people are hanging onto their houses, whether they're worried that they're going to lose their job or they were worried that, you know, they couldn't qualify. There's just been a lot of things or they wanted to refinance. So they knew they couldn't put their house on the market because if they refinance. So there's lots of different things. But seriously, our supply is very low. And so for me right now, I've been trying to buy a beachfront property because I sold this property and I need to do an exchange. Right. And so to not pay taxes, I have made six offers and can't get any of them. And all of them have been over asking. It's the craziest thing. But what happens is, is that it, it, you've got five buyers and there's only one or two properties on the market. All five of us are going for it. So two of them will get it. Now you've only got, you still got three more buyers, but then you've re added up more buyers and just one more property came on the market. So again, you're getting anywhere from five to 10 offers on the same properties. And that puts prices up. So what it does, perfect example that what they're doing is, is they're getting all the offers and then the, the seller decides he's going to raise the price. It's a crazy, it's, it's really a crazy time in real estate. It makes me smile because I bought years ago and I've got properties, you know, that I've enjoyed the appreciation. And it also makes me sad for first time home buyers because they're being pushed out of the market. They're becoming renters and our rents gone up anywhere from 10 to 15% in the last year also because of the pandemic. Yeah, we see a very similar trend in Australia and we've just in the midst of a massive boom, huge prices. 
Both of my stepdaughters have bought land and they're building and they're looking at around about $850,000 Australian for a first home. Now, I'm just trying to compare what that is in American dollars, probably probably about 500000 or so. But this is first home buyers. But the trend is too towards first home buyers sort of going, well, it's just so hard to get in. We're going to buy the big home for life and rather than when I first started out, which was something which we didn't necessarily see it that way. So it's a whole different trend too. They're looking for their first home. They're going, to, they're going to live at home for a lot longer and they're going to save a lot longer and then they're going to buy a bigger home. So it's, it's really interesting to watch those trends. Yeah, tell me this. Are you all having a boom with tiny homes? With tiny homes? Yeah, there's a little bit of that, but not as much. And partly I think it's to do with local councils and what their planning legislation is. Like not everyone allows you to put a granny flat out the back to have a tiny home, which is the usual kind of pathway. It's often something that people consider doing when they've got an elderly family member who wants to live in. So it gives them their own space and then you can make it so that it's one story and it's self-contained. And sometimes there are some benefits in terms of a different aged care kind of, I won't say handouts, but I'm just trying to find the, the correct word, but there's different government policies sometimes in terms of aged care that in assisted living yeah. that makes that affordable, but it really depends on what area you're in. Yeah. And I'm surprised there hasn't been more of this. I think it often really just comes down to your local council restrictions. It does. We just got one passed, which I'm really excited because it's about affordable housing for people. And we just got one pass, right? I mean, within 15 minutes of where I live, I'm really excited. It's going to be like a neighborhood of tiny homes and price point 100,000, which is fabulous, which would be like 300,000, I guess, in your area or 250, which is reasonable for first time home buyers. So I'm really excited about it because you're right. It has not passed before. And finally, I think they realized because our housing has gone up so much, it gives another uh, option for people and that's great you know people need options well surprisingly to many of us here in Australia and I don't know whether you see the same trends in the US but the largest cohort of homelessness and the the biggest growing area is women in their 50s and above often they've had caring responsibilities all their life they may have incurred something like a separation or divorce and suddenly they have no money, they have no superannuation, and they can't afford to rent. It's very difficult. It's so sad, isn't it? Hopefully, I mean, my goal is always to, that we make sure everybody has affordable housing. It's crucial. Yeah. And if we can start our young people now saving their money and worrying about their future self and not spending everything they make, you and I can make a difference in people's lives with just sharing with them that, you know what? It's not about how much money you make. It's about how much money you keep and pay attention to what your spending habits are for the future because you don't want to be that person that's 50 years old and you drove a brand new car and you've had all the fancy everything because at the end of the day, what is that worth later on when you are 50 years old? It's not worth anything, right? Yeah. And if you haven't protect yourself and build a, a passive income stream, you know, I do also, I have a, a YouTube channel called Down Home Money. And I'm building a portfolio, a dividend portfolio. So that's the other thing I've, I've learned to do. Okay, I'm a novice, so let me first say that. But I'm doing it so that, that people can watch and so they can see how you can build another stream of income through a brokerage account and buying you know, some stocks and then throw off dividends. And I'm having a blast with it. So that's just 
Another fun way to show people how you can build passive income streams and let it build up through compounding. And I have one final question for you, which is, okay, do you have a frugalista tip? Do you have something you do to save money? Oh my gosh, I have a million things that I do to save money. <laughs> yeah, let's see. Let's see which one's the best. Let me think about that. That's such a great question. I want to make sure I give you a real impactful answer on that. I do all my own stuff. So I do my own hair. I do my husband's hair. So you can imagine how much money that saves us. Yeah. I do my own, like I wash my own dogs. I do, I, I clean my own house because I just... I do everything that myself that I can physically do that I don't have to pay somebody else to do because I think it's important. I think it also keeps me healthy and not lazy. So there's one benefit. I also have a, a group of women that we share clothes. So we trade out clothes because, you know, we all go through fat and skinny periods. That's just who we yeah, are, right? Yeah. And so we all kind of trade out like, you know, and we have a good time with it. We get, so we get, get you get nice clothes, but yet you're not having to buy them. You're, we're just trading um, just so we all kind of can have different wardrobes without spending a lot of money because clothes have gotten ridiculous, right? Yeah. Uh, and costs. So that's one. I'm trying to think what else. Um, but I don't go to the gym. I walk every day, five miles a day. I, I you know, got rid of the gym fee and I got rid of the cable fee because I, I do my Netflix. So I've really gotten rid. I've really condensed all my bills to be really low. Wow. There's heaps of great tips. Thank you so much for being my guest. And how can people find you? Okay, great. Thank you so much for having me and allowing me to share. So I really appreciate you. And Down Home Money is my book. You can buy it on Amazon and it's also an Audible and you better like a Southern accent because I read it. (laughs) If not, you better get the heart back. (laughs) So then I've got um, my YouTube channel, Down Home Money, and my website's Down Home Money. So everything's Down Home Money. I just keep it simple. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, thank you so very much. I appreciate you. You've been listening to The Joyful Frugalista with Serena Bird. And of course, sound has been by Neil Hadley.